Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. Save big money on everything. Now at Menards. Make quick work of your outdoor cleaning project with Masterforce Outdoor and Landscaping Tools. The 80-volt cordless trimmer is powerful, efficient, and hassle-free. So you spend less time working on your yard and more time enjoying the results. On sale now through May 19th. Check out our wide selection of Masterforce tools and see the rest of our deals on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. There's no place to escape to. This is the last talk. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. My voice isn't warmed up yet. Let me get my voice warmed up. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You got to do it like mine. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They are days of the week. They are days of the month. That's Thursday. Not how, that's not Friday. a warm-up. I can drink today. It is Friday. It is Saturday. I can drink all day today. It is Saturday. It has to be a limerick. Sunday. It has to be a limerick type. Runny eggs, sticky legs. There you go. It kind of works. Oh, and my voice is warmed up. All right. Welcome to the show. This is the last podcast. On the left, I am Ben Kiss. So that's Marcus Parks. I think his voice is warmed up now. Thank you, Ben. Yes, my voice is as warmed up as it's ever been. Can you hear how oily it is? Oh, it's like the backside of a young Greek boy at a parliamentary meeting. Mm. Mm, so covered in olive oil. Yes. Is that what they use in Greece to have sex with each other? Or is that a racist no. thought? No, I think that is a racist okay. thought. Yeah, they just use lube like everybody else. Like everybody else does. But they do use grease instead of water at their parks. That's a different yeah, story. That, that is a di- and really, you slide fast because they like to come out and see the. They want the. Gr- they want the grass to look like the tops of their sons' heads. <laughs> right, just spiked heads. They're like, oh, oh yeah. look at that! It's like, oh, it's go to club. Grass is ready to go to club. That's correct. There's no way that that is just completely inaccurate. No way. No, not at all. Not that I've ever been to Greece or seen a picture of anywhere within Greece. It's a beautiful country. All right. So today. We have a great, uh, we, we are beginning a multi-parter on the Hillside Stranglers. Yeah. yeah. It's time oh for goodness. another heavy hitter, everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll catch the ball for you, little Timmy. Oh, I caught the ball. You going to give it to me so I can have a man only? No, I won't. Life is cruel. <laughs> it's a brutal game. Now, the Hillside Stranglers, often erroneously referred to in the singular due to the press originally reporting them as such, were a pair of serial killers and rapists that operated in Los Angeles over a period of five months from October 1977 until February of 1978, racking up a kill count of 10. The Hillside mm. Stranglers were so named because the vast majority of the victims' bodies were found dumped down hillsides in the Los Angeles area usually away from residential areas. Right around where I used to stay in Glendale. Really? Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that when I saw the auto body shop for the first time, uh, Bono's auto body shop, that uh, that was two blocks from where I was staying 
Wow. And I went over there and just cruising for ladies flipping a coin. And they're like, I seem to remember a guy yeah. just like you. You were the hillside huggler. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, let me hug. Let me hug. Come on, just let me give it a little bit of a hug. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Free hugs from a creepy guy. I'll take it. So they killed 10 in five in five months. So yeah. they were getting paid uh, bi-monthly if they take that. If, if they got paid for it. Well, I think the body was the payment. It's for the all of the payment? The body is the payment for har- your hard work. <laughs> that is disgusting. Nice. I just see That's how your life. gears turned a little bit. <laughs> no. Again, you can't, don't open up the curtain too far. We're all, we will all be arrested. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> now, the perpetrators were a pair of cousins by adoption. Kenneth Bianchi, the more submissive of the two, and Angelo Bono, by far the more dominant and among the most despicable creatures we have ever covered. Now, can you imagine at some point when they said Hillside Strangler and they're looking at it and Bono's literally be like, you mean to tell me they don't think only one guy can do what we do? I think they should look at all stuff and think, ah, it's got to be like nine or ten guys. Cool guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy, yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. I use mayonnaise to make my hair stick back. Oh, that's not bad. I'd like to lick your head. But before we get to that piece of shit, let's start mm. with the life of Kenneth Bianchi, or as he was known to his friends, Kenny. I'm surprised he didn't go by Kennifer. <laughs> yeah, Kennifer sounds good. Well, he had to marry a Jennifer. Oh. <laughs> no, Kenneth Alessio Bianchi was born in Rochester, New York in 1951 to a 17-year-old alcoholic prostitute who immediately gave him up for adoption. The official adoption report described her as, quote, a pathetic creature of limited intelligence. You know that she was kind of funny accidentally. <laughs> yeah, but can we just say this guy who wrote the adoption report, he's editorializing a bit. <laughs> just like, the on, fact. Okay. Come on, buddy. Just yeah, just write where he came from. You don't have to like quantify the mother. Yes. What I would also say is, uh, I like is in certain in true crime in general the way they describe women in in, in the past is about how mm. like she, you got a book that called her a prostitute. Where I was reading the Darcy O'Brien book where they describe her as a happy-go-lucky go-go dancer. <laughs> I like the latter. I think that's how I'm going to remember his mother. Yeah, I just a, think a happy-go-lucky. 15-year-old, no, excuse me, 17-year-old go-go dancer. 16 when she got pregnant. That's all right. She was a performer. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Kenny was placed in a foster home into the care of an elderly alcoholic woman who shuttled him from neighbor to neighbor, depriving the child of any real human connections for the first three months of its life. And although not quite the same, this is very interesting. The famous Harlow experiments of the 1950s demonstrated how important this connection can be to a person immediately following Birth. Whatever. My mom tossed me around like a basketball with all the other doctors while the Harlem Globetrotters theme played, and it just st- it embedded, <laughs> and it made me a born performer. For some reason, I feel like your parents wouldn't let you be held by a black person. <laughs> so I, I'm going to have to call you out on a, on a violent lie. Now, in this experiment, rhesus monkeys were separated from their mother at birth, then raised by two surrogate monkey mother machines. <laughs> It's just fun to say monkey mother machines. It sounds like a children's book that ends up very sad. Right. (laughs) Now, one machine dispensed milk, but was made from bare wire mesh. The other monkey machine was made of terry cloth, but dispensed no milk whatsoever. Invariably, the monkeys chose to cuddle with the terry cloth monkey instead of drinking the milk that they needed to survive. Now, dog meat, didn't your parents do the same thing to you, but instead of milk coming out of the fake monkey's teat, it was brine? Mm. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That's why you like pickle dinner so much? Oh, oh yeah. man, I had pickle dinner last night. Yeah. You did? Yeah, me and pickle girlfriend. You know, when it comes down to, she, it's her neck. 
now? The, is her, does she know? Podcast nickname, the pickle girlfriend, because she's not going to enjoy that. No, she's going to hate that. She's really going to hate that. She actually loves it. Uh, but I would say is well, the pickle dinner thing is going from a cute thing to a sign of extreme poverty. But he's not. He's, he's wealthier not. than he's ever been. I just don't get it. Now, in another experiment, two monkeys were given two separate monkey machines, one wire mesh and one terry cloth, but this time, both monkey mother machines dispensed milk, mm. and although both of the monkeys nursed from the bottle, the behaviors of the monkeys were wildly different. Mm. It, it's wrong to say to open a coffee shop named Harlow's where the milk dispensers were these terry cloth covered <laughs> in wire mesh monkey mothers. I would absolutely love to go there, and it would make sense the coffee is $5, <laughs> and it would be good. Now, when the two monkeys were scared by loud objects, the object of choice by Harlow being a large teddy bear that constantly beat a bass drum, mm. the cloth monkeys retreated to the quote-unquote mother, while the wire monkey just rolled around on the floor screaming like a go-go dancer. <laughs> like a happy-go-lucky go-go dancer. Yeah. And Harlow found that this mimicked the behavior of children that were deprived of both physical and emotional contact as babies, as well as that of institutionalized adults. You know, I'm just happy that the the uh, the bass player, the drummer from the Chuck E. Cheese band, he got all that work. <laughs> he got all that work. Yeah. It's just like, they said I was out. They said that I was living too close to the edge, but I showed them the brand continues. So, so what are you doing now? Oh, I'm a fake monkey mother in a laboratory somewhere. <laughs> they won't let me know where. They blindfold me before I go in, but I get all the cigarettes I can consume. All right. <laughs> Now, while Harlow estimated that the quote-unquote point of no return for humans as far as physical and emotional contact went was about six months, Bianchi having nothing of the sort for only three months almost certainly affected him, particularly when that was paired with what was to come. Well, mm. apparently he would literally be left alone in a bassinet just sitting in a corner, nobody looking at him. He would be mm. shot. He, he had like something like six foster homes before he ended up in the Bianchi home. Well, literally as a baby, no one touched it. No one looked at him. No one gave a shit about him. And that's mm. got to re create a psychological like reverberation in somebody's mind. It and absolutely it made him a glass person. Well, yeah. that's the one thing about the end of Rosemary's Baby. She's so upset, but that child is going to be taken care of forever. Think about the it's, child care. That's free child care. Free, and he's like, yes, you're half devil, but everyone will care, cater to your every whim. And I'll tell you what, Mary Poppins and any other generation in the UK would have been had a steak put through her vagina out her mouth, oh. and she would have been burned like a kebab. Yeah, like Cannibal Holocaust. So think about it. Wow. Uh, Kenny was adopted three months in by Nicholas Bianchi and Francis Cioliono Bianchi. Good, just traditional Italian names. <laughs> Cioliono Bianchi. Bianchi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It means it means crooked back. Bitch. <laughs> oh, because bitch that does is, not mean that. Bianchi means bitch in Italian. No, I don't. <laughs> now, she was an extremely neurotic woman who would do untold damage to her son throughout the course of his childhood with constant smothering and an almost pathological obsession about Ken's health. Now, at first, that was limited to insanely frequent doctor's visits for minor ailments, but that all changed when, in 1957, Kenny fell from a jungle gym at school mm. and banged his head on the ground. Oh, no. I <laughs> fell off the top of a, a table in the lunchroom while I was doing a bit of a show. I was getting some attention to myself, mm -hmm. and I fell off the top of the lunch table, bashed my head against the radiator, and I completely knocked myself unconscious, and they left me there because they thought I was making a joke. Yeah, <laughs> and of course, a radiator is just a radiator with cool glasses on sure. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I used to do somersaults into the corner of my walls. Man, no sign of weird levels of autism in either one of us. Not at all. I used to drink milk through my nose. Kids loved it. You're weird, Mark. That is the weird weird. He's weird. weird. (laughs) Now, as we all know, serial killers are lousy with head injuries. Almost 25% of serial killers and mass murderers either had a definite or suspected serious head injury at one point in their life, most of them suffering from it in childhood. Mm. And following the injury, Francis took Kenny out of school for the rest of the year and isolated him in their home. I had to go work at the newspaper stand selling oranges with the other orphans. <laughs> People were just buying oranges and newspapers. An orange get- for a pence, a paper for a pence. Please, I ain't got no parents, just the many bugs that live in my bed. This was the 1990s in New York City, right? It was. I did None of that is real. Oh, okay. None of that is true. No, soon after, Ken began to suffer from grand mal seizures, and again, as we many times see in serial killers, he began to wet his pants with great frequency. I will also say again, quote unquote, grand mal seizures. John Wayne Gacy did the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Where you begin to learn a, we're going to go into this now about Kenny, is that when you begin to learn the feedback loop of acting sick and getting the attention that you need, mm-hmm. and that basically scratches the itch. Right. So the word that I saw most to describe Ken's habits was dribbling. He did wet the bed, yes, but he also had the tendency to continually wet his pants throughout the day. Hmm. Dribbling. Yeah, he's a real Steph Curry of pissing his pants. Yeah, he's a real <laughs> Ace of warm-up games, yeah. Yeah, my grandfather used to piss his pants, and we just said that was because he had a hard time in the war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, at first, Francis tried physical punishment, spanking him before he went to the bathroom <laughs> to make sure he uh, drained himself out enough where he wouldn't later dribble in his pants. Hey, if this is getting you hard right now, just leave the office. <laughs> just yeah. go talk to somebody. And if I guess if it is making you hard, Go for you. I say good go for you. I say go for you. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when that didn't work, Francis started taking him to a string of doctors who, as is standard medical practice, probed and examined his genitals again and again, each time causing pain, humiliation, and fear. Hey there, Kenny. Why don't you come inside? Ed? You want a glass of wine? Come over here and perch up on my knee, little Kenny. Um, did, you, did anyone ever call you Kennifer? No, I didn't. Never Anyways, got why don't you? No. 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 no right. You know what's no. funny? Because you look like a Kennifer. Oh. Uh, why don't you take off that shirt? You look uh, a little tight. I'm, I'm going to take off my shirt, too. I'm so cold. you've been peeing your pants, huh? No, I'm... You've been peeing your pants? I'm, I'm dribbling. Yeah, you do a little dribbling? I'm dribbling. Why don't you do it for me? I, I, do it for me. I'm dribbling. I'm going to press in your bladder until you do it for me, all right? <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> Man, this is great. I love being a pediatrician. Yeah. There's no way I'm going to kill. There's no way. Uh, one psychiatrist suggested that this constant probing of the genitals, mm. instigated by his mother, could very well have been construed as something very close to rape in young Ken's mind. Whatever. I mean, so, That's true. It is probably I just, rape. I just don't understand what she was thinking. Initially, she just beat him before he went to the bathroom, mm-hmm. and then that didn't work, so mm-hmm. she brought him to a rape den. Well, she brought <laughs> him to a doctor, where, and you bring him frequently. It's, it's a weird, like, fate 
helped shape him. Yeah. And then all of a yeah. sudden you're bringing him to a man of power, somebody you're supposed to trust, a doctor yeah. that's supposed to give your parents the answer to your quote-unquote elusive health problem, and literally all he's doing is molesting you. And yeah. this and, time people really did trust the doctor. Absolutely. And it would have been okay if it would have just been one doctor. Like, one doctor, that's fine. Kids go in for these sorts of medical treatments yeah. all the time. They ha- The doctors have to do what they have to do to find out what's wrong with the kid. Yeah, but- they always got to tug and pull on the penis if you're peeing your pants all the time. That's how it goes. I'm here for the flu. I have a headache. I'm, no, let me just tug on your penis like three or four more okay. times. Seems strange. But Ken, he was taken to half a dozen doctors over and over and over again. So he got a reputation. Yeah. <laughs> Walking in there all sauntery, seven years old, peeing his pants. What do you think's going to fucking happen? True story. The first time I got a physical, I was 12 years old. I didn't get the physical. I walked into the room with my, uh, my mother, the doctor's office. My mother left the room and the guy's like, take down your pants. And I was like, what happened? I started freaking <laughs> no, out, screaming. No! no one told me I was about to get a physical. A so huge, we had to a reschedule. huge man child. Oh, it's being awful. Like, Why don't you come and take them off yourself? <laughs> yeah. You fucking pervert. My God, it's awful. <laughs> I'm so glad. I was afraid this story was going to be opposite. You just walked through the waiting room with no pants on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to be checked. For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. And not only did Ken get these constant probings from doctors, but Francis even made him wear sanitary napkins every time they went out. I I actually don't think this mother wasn't trying. You know, I mean, if he is dribbling, there weren't diapers around uh, that would fit a man his size. Just put some napkins in there. It goes into certain areas. It reminds me of Otis Tool, where they would dress him up as a little girl because he acted fey. It talks about, like, like, they would do these things where it's a sick fascination with the peeing of his pants. Yeah. But but she's just sick of doing the laundry every damn day. I don't know though. I think you just put diapers on him and you'd make it a silent problem. That's how other people dealt with it. Except for talk with comedian Jermaine Fowler who told me he peed his pants until the age of 12 and I said that's really fucked up because we were talking about Kenneth Bianchi peeing his pants and he said he just did it out of pure laziness. (laughs) Well we'll keep an eye on him. Did you have that conversation in confidence? What? (laughs) I think it'll be fun. 
<laughs> now, Ken did indeed have some slight physical problems. The majority of it was psychosomatic. He was reacting to his mother's extreme neuroses. Mm. These are notes from a parent-teacher conference from 1958. This is what they said. Mrs. Bianchi is a very nervous person, easily upset. As a result, Ken is also nervous and wets his pants. Check his health record. Mother needs to be calmed down. Oh, mother needs to be calmed down. Mother needs to be calmed down. <laughs> You're editorializing your uh, parent-teacher meeting a little bit. Oh, yeah, mommy um, needs to get a little bit of a pet before she goes to sleep. <laughs> Ooh, and thinks me teacher needs to be doing it. Yeah, did she send him to, like, creepy school, like, creepy just, doctor? Like, just, I guess it's what happens when you live in touch when you live in Touchem downstairs Pennsylvania. <laughs> oh, I guess so. Yeah, just go to, like, a Methodist school. Yeah, Everybody. Those are nice. Yeah, strangely enough, the... His hometown, Rochester, New York. Same name as my hometown, Rochester, Texas. Well, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. You know, there's a Hollywood, Florida, uh, and a Hollywood, California. What I say, what real, really creeped me up is I was uh, creeping out. I was reading a series of serial killer interviews called uh, Serial Killers Up Close and Personal. And it was, I opened it up and it was on May 22nd. And as I opened it up, it was like, Kenneth Bianchi was born on May 22nd, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Is that oh, your birthday? <laughs> no, my birthday's May 1st. Valpurgis <laughs> Now, Kenny, he responded to his mother's imagined illnesses in kind. It was said that during a stay in a hospital to examine his urinary problems over a course of days and weeks, mm. he was reasonably well-behaved until his mother showed up. Now, what we're going to see here is the cycle that Kenny's going to go through through the rest of his life where he is going to see that lying helps covers uh, cover up problems he has with his potential and problems that he has. In, basically, in order to feel normal, he needs yeah. to lie about his circumstances all the time. Fake he, it till you make it. But th this time, he was just faking it. And he right. never makes it. No, he doesn't make it. Well, I mean, <laughs> so I guess he made it for himself. I was reading a book called The Hillside Stranglers by Darcy O'Brien, which is a bit antiquated, and she described Kenny's nature as a child in a very foppish way. Mm -hmm. Kenny appears to have risen from the cradle to sembling. By the time he could talk, Frances knew she was coping with a compulsive liar, and his childhood unfolded as one of idleness and gold-breaking. <laughs> Would you believe the flimflammery? <laughs> Would does... you believe the charcuterie that comes mm. from the mouth of this babe? I mean, if you have a child who is a liar, put them in acting school. That's all they are. <laughs> That's all we do. That's all you people do. I put on a fake name. I put mm. on clothes that are not mine. I'm no one and everyone. <laughs> Now, as soon as Francis Bianchi walked through the door of the hospital, the show began with one doctor noting that uh, Ken Bianchi was, quote, a little minx on the floor. It's gross. <laughs> this reminds me of Madonna doing the Like a Virgin performance from the Music Video Awards, which is just rolling around. But yeah. it's just a little boy going like, <laughs> can't control me. I'm slippery like oil, like a flappery fish. I'm just so, you know, I feel weird. <laughs> I just, it makes me feel strange. Now, this was obviously an attempt to gain his mother's love and approval. But at the same time, Kenny also felt a highly suppressed anger, forming a love-hate relationship with his mother that we also see in a lot of serial killers. In an mm. FBI study, 66% of serial killers reported their mother as the dominant 
parent. And Ed Gein, obviously. It's because they feel dependent on their mother's attention, and then mm-hmm. they get bitter about the fact that they're dependent on their mother for this attention. Yeah. And they because they have a superiority complex. Bianchi, at this point, is going to start realizing, oh, I'm smarter than everybody else. I can outperform people at a, at a very young age. I can make them think whatever it is I want them to think, but his mom still controls him. So he's got this these two forces just slamming against each other that will make him kill women for years. Yeah. And he wasn't, yeah. a, I mean, he wasn't a dullard either. Like, he actually no. had, he had an IQ of about 116. That's normal. Yeah, he was, well, that's actually above average. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. but he was also just an extremely lazy student. Never applied himself. It does take a certain <laughs> amount of intelligence to lie, though, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It absolutely does. And or, does. Or it's like, but there's also an instinctual lying. It's kind of like Otis Tool or Henry Lucas, where they just kind of have that muscle kind of built into them to be a, a little thief, be a little criminal immediately. Yeah. yeah, they were actually very good at it. Kim Bianchi was actually very bad at it. Yeah. He was just a pathological liar. He would lie for no reason whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, when they asked him as an adult why he lied so much, he said, beats the crackers out of me. Meanwhile, he's just yeah. got a fucking tie around a woman's neck. He's like, oh, golly gee, I don't know how I got myself in this circumstance. Beats the crackers out of me. <laughs> Now, in addition to all of this, Ken came very close to completing the serial killer triad of bedwetting, pyromania, and animal abuse, once killing a cat and leaving it on his neighbor's front porch as a Halloween prank. It's funny. Yeah, now I actually, I was reading that, and I have to say, that is a great Halloween prank. It's a very funny prank. It's kind of like TBS's motto. Very funny. Very funny. (laughs) Now, Ken's father, maybe not so surprisingly, spent most of his time either at work or gambling at the horse track. You mean to tell me he didn't want to deal with his big, fat, overmothering wife and his pee-pants son? (laughs) His fake son. But actually, adoption is more, it actually shows more love than having a child because everybody wants to fuck. (laughs) Right. Well, actually, uh, the reason why they couldn't have a child was because Francis had health problems and she had to get a hysterectomy at a fairly young age. Uh, More like a hearse. That's no, what it, it should have been called. No, it's a hysterectomy. <laughs> Herstorectomy, because that makes it more with the times. It makes it more woke. <laughs> Good point. Oh, it may also not come as much of a surprise that as Kenny passed into adolescence, he started spending more time with his father. But unfortunately, just as those bonds were being formed, Ken's father died suddenly of a heart attack, exhausted from years of overwork at the foundry, and no doubt just a little bit frazzled by his home life. He just probably, when he looked in the mirror and finally was just like, can I die now? (laughs) Thank God I can. All right. (laughs) Just let go. And this may be like later on, we see that Kim Bianchi treats Angelo Bono as sort of a hero worship father figure Mm -hmm. because right as he was just starting to form his very first bonds with another man, he dies. Exactly. Yeah. And then Bono, we're going to see, is a sort of uber masculine character. And mm-hmm. then he's going to b- connect to that because he's been overmothered his whole childhood. Yeah. And masculine qu- in quotations. Yeah. He's what, a piece of shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah what yeah. like people who really love Chuck Norris think is, is ma- think of as masculine. <laughs> Guys who think that Chuck is. Norris jokes are funny. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. legitimately funny. Yeah. And they actually don't even think they're jokes. They think they're real statements. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, soon after his father's death, Bianchi lost his virginity in what sounds like a weird name. Neighborhood gangbang. I think this stuff happened a lot more in the 70s. It, I think it was actually, this was like a 50s and 60s Ugh. type of thing. It's like a, you know, like, remember in Porky's 
when they uh, all went, yeah, and, and they would suck their dick through the hole. And t- yeah, yeah, no, when they all went out to the cabin in the woods to all have sex with the prostitute, yeah. in which it turned into a real funny prank. It oh was, man, there was a lot of mayhem and shenanigans. But it did sound like a bunch of young boys were going to go kill a grown woman in a cabin somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Porkies. Yeah, yeah. About a dozen teenage boys. They all lined up to have this sex with this girl uh, in a treehouse. This type of girl. Uh, the high school boys they referred to girls like this as round heels. Well, that was her Indian name. <laughs> oh, her real name was. Uh, Marietta Ton Bicicletta. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. Italian. Yeah. Now, the fact that Kenny's first sexual experience was essentially using a female as nothing more than a literal object, standing in line with a bunch of guys like he was going to go on a ride at Six Flags, like that may have informed oh, his opinion of women just a, a little bit. Look at a bunch of guys bit. sitting around flipping coins being like, yeah, this is the coolest we'll ever be. I can't wait for all of us to tag team this poor, innocent woman. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I'd flip it and say that they're the they're the dumb meat bags. Yeah, You know, course. she's just getting stuffed every which way. I'm sure she was loving every moment of it. I mean, hey, she was know. a 14-year-old girl. Well, let's make her 18. <laughs> let's make her 18. <laughs> this is good revisionist history. That's just, this is like we're games of throning this. Yes. Yeah. Change it up a little bit. No, soon after high school, Kenny married a local girl named Laura who had also grown up with a dominant mother. And when Laura and Kenny would argue, they'd call their respective mothers and ask them to settle the score for them. I kind of actually love this technique. Can you imagine? I can't imagine calling my mother in to solve a problem for me, which is like call her to like talk to Natalie and being like, no, you have, you, to talk to, to, you have to talk to Natalie's mother. Oh, God. It's like, no. like BattleBots. <laughs> your mother is the bot, and you just like control her. I'm just afraid for Natalie's mother to deal with my mother. Well, then you win every <laughs> argument. Oh, no, no, no. The mothers don't come into contact with each other. It's mother by proxy. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you call up the mother. You tell her what's going on. The mother tells you what you should say and what you should do and who's right. Well, my mom oh. says you should say, I'm sorry, make me four lasagnas. <laughs> yeah, I was under the impression the mother was like Rocky, and Kenny was like Mickey, and he's like, get in the ring. You can you can. Kick Kick his ass. Kick his ass, Ma. Ma, get out of here. <laughs> now, after an extremely turbulent eight months of marriage, Laura left with another man without a word, driven away, as friends later said, by Ken's extreme insecurity and immature nature. He was one of those guys who literally wagged his finger in your face during an argument. Oh, man, just asking to get fucking punk slapped. Yeah. But also, Bianchi, we, at this point, was going through Catholic school, and Darcy O'Brien says that it left a very spe- specific impression on him about women, where he had the very classic uh, virgin whore mentality about women. Mm. And so with her, he basically, he could go and fuck whoever he wanted, but she had to show up when he called her. Like, she had to show up, be where he, th- basically tell her, her, tell him her plans for the entire week, and she better stick to it or he was gonna freak out. Yeah, exactly. And that mother whore complex. I mean, boy, howdy, did that put one hell of an impression on him. Well, boy, howdy, did it ever. (laughs) Cheese and and crackers. I can't believe what that mother whore thing did to the women later on in his life. Beats the crackers out of me. (laughs) But of course, the disintegration of the marriage wasn't Kenny's fault whatsoever, Mm. according to him, Uh and he talked constantly of the world, quote-unquote, dumping on him. Well, it was just kind of ironic because he's always dribbling. (laughs) (laughs) Pee pants. <laughs> he got pee pee pants. Poor Kennifer. <laughs> oh. Now, in Ken's eyes, one friend said he never did 
anything wrong. And not only had his wife abandoned him, but it seemed like his mother was about to do the same thing. She had recently remarried and had all but forgotten about her son. Oh, God. Mommy. Yeah. Why doesn't mommy want to touch my pee-pee anymore to see if it's leaky leaking? Can you imagine being the guy on the date with his mother when she's just like the third date and he's like, this is really going well. Wow, and she's is- like, I have to tell you about my... My son. My son, he's a human sprinkler. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it is very interesting to note that between 1971 and 1973, three women were strangled to death in Rochester, New York, the first woman dying around the time that Kenny's wife left him. There is very very weird uh, circumstantial... Uh, coincidences yeah. about Kenny's time period at this point with his the falling out with his wife, mm-hmm. uh, his mother marrying the other man, and these murders. It's yeah, called it's the about- Alphabet Murders, which is uh, they were called the Alphabet Murders because the their names were uh, literary names. All of the girls murdered had the first letter was the same for their first name and their last name, and it was connected to these. The, the, that letter was the same first letter as the places around Rochester where they were found. Mm. So it was a very highly put together murder sequence somebody like was purposely killing girls in this way pretty eerily similar in the way that the hillside stranglers would go on to kill women and kenny was also lumped into the investigation for that Mm. but there was no evidence to convict him i mean i gotta say it's better that they're purposely killing them as opposed to like accidentally because what a terrible day that would be (laughs) i just accidentally strangled three women but no you look at the killers looking at me like huh look at all the letters all matching up that's kind of funny. <laughs> kind of funny. That's that kind of funny. That's funny. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, I mean, it's this. It's a very, I, I really don't know if Kim Bianchi was responsible for this murders because it doesn't necessarily fit in with uh, the serial killer habits because mm. these women died from 1971 to 1973. But there was a, still a period of two years that Kim Bianchi lived in Rochester, New York, in which no women were strangled in this manner whatsoever. That's mm. true. But it's it's very, uh, it's just highly coincidental. It's very coincidental. And yeah. it's very interesting because there are killers that we've seen that could possibly connect it to um, murders beforehand. You know what I mean? It's like you look at Otis Tool, look at like people like that, where it's just like they kind of had a weird shitty past where they were yeah. in a bunch of very interesting circumstances mm-hmm. for them to be in for later on to be a serial killer. Well, Dahmer took quite a few years off after the jogger. Yes. Yeah, I mean, he did, but he never, yeah, well, after the hitchhiker. Yeah. The hitchhiker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did take a couple of years off. That is true. But this is, but with this, this is a an, a, an escalation. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, right, yeah, sure. you don't necessarily, after that initial escalation comes, uh, usually these guys don't stop until they're caught. Mm. Now, Ken Bianchi stuck around in Rochester, New York until 1975 when he decided it was time to pull up his stakes and move out to sunny California to live with his cousin, Angelo Bono. Now, apparently his mother, Kenny, called Angelo Bono and said, can my son go live with you because he needs a strong dude to hang out with? And Angelo was like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I teach him the ropes because he's got a lot of fuck. And she's like, okay, well, that's great. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Kenny, Kenny was 26 at the time uh, that he moved to L.A. And uh, Angelo Bono, he was 41. Mm-hmm. So he was quite a bit older. Man, so cool. So cool. (laughs) Now, Bono can only be described as an unmitigated asshole with not a single redeeming feature. Now, while Ken at least had the mask of being a loving father, a gentle partner, and a friendly co-worker, 
Angelo Bono was straight dog shit through and through. Born in 1934 to an abusive single mother he referred to only as the cunt. Yeah. Angelo was a typical macho tough guy who, as a teenager, idolized convicted robber, kidnapper, and rapist Carol Chessman, a.k.a. the Red Light Bandit. Um, we're going to find out a little bit more about Bono's childhood. Basically, what you find out is that he's a sex offender throughout his, his entire childhood. He gets pulled out of grade school for grabbing women in the uh, girls' bathroom. He's a fucking monster. And Carol Chessman, who he ends up b- being his role model, is described, uh, this is described by Darcy O'Brien from the Hillside Stranglers. Chessman had demonstrated the possibilities of a police ruse. The red light he had attached to his car enabled him to con lovers parked in the hills of Los Angeles into opening their car windows and doors to him. They took him for a policeman. Showing a forty-five, Chessman would force the girl into his car, drive her to another secluded spot, and usually make her perform oral sex. <laughs> to Angelo, he was a heroic combination of guts and brains. Angelo is sort of like the problem child uh, who who, uh, loved Michael Richards' character in the great uh, movie Problem Child. a lot like the problem child. Yes, he liked the bow tie and everything. I didn't know the problem child would turn out to be a serial killer and rapist. No, if you go back and watch those movies, he's a dangerous young boy. Oh, yeah, he's obviously a sociopath from the very beginning. Right. Now, we actually don't know much more about Bono's upbringing other than that, because there actually isn't a hell of a whole lot to know about him. This guy is just Mm. a straight-up monster whose only purposes in this world were to cause misery and upholster the interiors of cars, which he was reportedly very good at. That's actually pretty awesome. But the same thing as Gary Ridgway. What is with serial killers and car detailing? Well, he was at Gary Ridgway was a car detailer. Angelo Bono worked on upholstery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Inside, outside. Inside, outside. My problem is, but why are they so good at this, this kind of stuff? They work with their hands. They like the leather. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's not like that's when you look over and he's putting a new upholstery, leather upholstery on the seat and he's just like, God, this fucking bitch, she doesn't want it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm gonna get it. Oh, I'm gonna fuck you. I'm gonna fuck you right yeah. in your ass. I'm gonna fuck you right in your ass, you fucking car seat. Ah, it looks nice. You do wonder if at one point he did such a good job upholstering somebody's car that that person picked up the car and looked at him and said, you know what? Even if you're a serial killer, I like what you did. I like, yeah. I like, I like, I'm I like happy the way it looks. Yeah. I like the way it looks. And you know who said that? Frank Sinatra. Yep. Is that right? <laughs> Big wife, blue eyes. Wife beater and crooner Frank Sinatra. Oh, isn't that something? Isn't yeah. it fun? Yeah, yes. Bono did work for him. Uh, he did work for one unnamed member of the Supremes. I don't know why she didn't want to go unnamed. Strange. <laughs> Weird. Yeah. But Bono's personal life was just as monstru- monstrous as you would imagine. Do you think that Sinatra like found out that, that the guy who detailed his car, like did all the interiors of his yeah. car, went and killed a bunch of women? He was just like... You know what? I'm going to take out my name off that car because it was a great job. Yeah. Well, that explains why there's a, like a small earlobe hanging out as well. I guess he never skinned people. But, I mean, can you imagine if Ed Gein had his ability of upholstery? Oh, well, you got to have a little bit of pizzazz to do yeah. upholstery. That's mm. true. Yeah, yeah, You have to have people skills, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gein was a little short on those. Well, Gein right. was like... You never meet an Etsy salesperson. You know what I mean? For a you, never, you very rarely yeah. meet the people behind the Etsy shops. Right. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad, too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Moneymaker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. 
with more than 88 million in prizes, ranging from 50 to $500. Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Are you an annoying coworker? Sending emails when everyone else is sleeping? Do they ask, how do you sleep at night? Then you should go to Mattress Firm. They have knowledgeable sleep experts that can help you find a better bed, like a Tempur-Pedic. It has technology to keep you cool at night, meaning anyone, even people like you, can sleep. Get matched at Mattress Firm. Sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See store or website for details. Now, people said that the only time Bono was decent was when he was trying to seduce Ugh. a woman, which it was also said he was actually very good at. Hey, you, uh, you want to do this thing? I heard about this fun game. I'm so glad you came into my shop. I was yeah. thinking, I want to do this thing where you uh, you scratch my earlobes with your ankles. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, let's get the door on it because I got the drill. Bam, 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 bam. I'm, I'm Frank's ex-wife, Frank uh, Sinatra. Frank? Mia Farrow? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm pregnant with my son that Frank gave me, Ronan. Oh, yeah. All yeah. right. So I guess I'll fuck around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what people would say is that at the very beginning, he would be very nice, very charming. And then just a little bit into the relationship, he would just flip. Sure. He would absolutely flip and he would just lose his fucking mind, become extremely abusive and, I mean, extremely cruel. Yeah. But... His Before. friends called him the Italian Stallion. His <laughs> yeah, friends called him the Italian Stallion because right. his name is Bono, but he would call his own dick the buzzard <laughs> because of his foreskin. Really? Ugh. The buzzard? He called it the buzzard. It seems like the uh, the character from the uh, Star Wars Episode One who sold him the, the shitty uh, the, the vehicle. Watto? Watto. <laughs> who, by the way, some people thought was a Jewish character. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think that's true. Was it Watto or was it Sibulba? Maybe Sibulba. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't <laughs> matter, but either way, he's just like, he's he fucks no- people with that. <laughs> yeah, the buzzard. Come suck on my buzzard. That's not good. And this is from an A&E documentary where they talk about some of Bono's other techniques. And living alone, he used his waterbed to full advantage. Yeah. He had a lot of women. <laughs> Use his waterbed. Use the waterbed. I mean, how good? It's the type of guy who who's proud of his waterbed. Yeah. <laughs> and like, this is the thing. So I feel like this is important, ladies or men. When you meet a, a guy that you want to go out with, ask him, first of all, who's your hero? Yeah. <laughs> all right. If it's a known rapist, it can kind of be like, if you're still into Bill Cosby's comedy, it's like kind of fine because it's like he did influence a lot of us. But if he's <laughs> no, like a known where he's only known for being a rapist, you can't use that as a hero anymore. If you just got into Bill Cosby, there's a massive problem. <laughs> if you're like, I didn't like him until around a year ago. I now I think his work is really strong. I like his later stuff, which is actually yeah. more of his earlier stuff. <laughs> um and but uh if you but he's got a waterbed. Yeah. He's disgusting. Yeah. It does not it make you disgusting. a better lover to be sloshing around on a semi lukewarm no. 
bed of fucking fungus water. My friend Pete had a water bed. I would sleep in it. We had two water beds. He would sleep in his. I would sleep in the guest run. And all it does is make you want to pee constantly yeah. and have uh, make you have sailor dreams. Uh, <laughs> it's disgusting. I had a water bed. <sighs> well, it was a hand-me-down water bed. It was like a hand-me-down of a hand-me-down water bed. Like this, this really weird dude gave my brother a water bed. And when my brother went to college, I got the water bed. That's Ugh, great, Marcus. God, just That's covered in Parks's juice. <laughs> yeah, bad for your bad for your back. The water bed, not a lot of support. Hey, you want to come over to my apartment? I got four. I got four roommates, but they're cool. They don't listen. And I got a water bed. Problem is, I only sleep with my belt on, my buckle on my belt, <laughs> so I can't sleep face down on my sharp, super cool buckle. Piece the bed. Yes. <laughs> Yeah? Yeah. I'm surprised. (laughs) I don't know how I keep getting late. Must have been shocking for him at some point. Uh, Bono married four different women and sired seven children over the course of 20 years with all but three of his wives divorcing him on grounds of cruelty, while the fourth simply ran away and was never seen again. What we're going to hear, too, is that his first wife, he began to tie up legs, wrists, neck, just like the victims of the Hillside Stranglers later on. He liked yeah. to choke. He liked to dominate. He liked to force a woman down and, and, and do anal intercourse at her as hard as humanly possible and fucking what was described by Darcy O'Brien, attacking women's genitalia like a pile driver. Ugh. And it's very difficult. Difficult to tie a woman to a waterbed, you know. And, and so I, it's yeah. like imagine trying yeah. to tie a marlin up on a, a pontoon boat. Difficult, <laughs> difficult. But good, good catch. Think about how much good core c- strength you need. Yeah. Now Bono raped his daughters. <laughs> well, it's kind of a jump. Now we're getting okay, so now we can't joke anymore. He raped his daughters. He raped his sons, and was said to have, on one occasion, sodomized one of his wives in front of their children. But he said, uh, and he literally legitimately called that breaking them in. Yeah. He would call, like, and he would, he had sex with one of his daughters and then would hand him off to her friend, to his friends and say, like, we gotta, we gotta make her good at sex. Mm. But by 1975, Bono was single, swinging, and fancy free. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's all fine. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, yeah man, no, no weight on his shoulders. No, <laughs> man, get rid of that ball and chain. Good God. No, when Kenneth Bianchi showed up in 1975, Angelo Bono had opened up his own car upholstery shop, a nice place by all accounts. It actually is a very nice place. It's still a car, it's still a car shop. Somebody huh. just bought it and didn't... They just bought it? It's all set up. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's already there, yeah. Yeah, and that was actually Bono's garage. Attached to the garage was Bono's house. That was something else entirely. It wasn't extremely sinister per se, but all of the interior doors had been removed, and the house was without a working kitchen. I think that's good feng shui. Yeah, no doors, no <laughs> limits. Everyone is communal. It's like taking a nice apartment and making it a shitty studio apartment. Tear the walls down. Yeah, I think actually it gives you quite a few limits if you don't have a door on your bedroom. Yeah. Not if you don't have any self-respect. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's how you got to get rid of your limits, dog meat. Uh, oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of baggage that I got to shed. Yeah. I'm and gonna... that includes jerking off in front of my roommates. I'm taking the front door of my apartment out. <laughs> Now, since he didn't have a kitchen, Bono ate out for all of his meals, and it was said that he usually stuck to his favorite dish, liver. Ooh. You know, that's fine. I've eaten liver. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know it's not it, as good as the other organ meats. Yeah, I know if you he, love entrails. If but. he said something like it was sweetbreads, which is <laughs> sweet with the gland meats, is the thyroid glands Ugh. of an animal. That's where it gets rough. Yeah, but yeah. every meal. I like how it tastes like blood. So because because I'm sick of biting my own tongue in order to go to sleep. Yeah, I can't say that I. um, I, You know, this is what I have to do. I eat out for every meal as well. We just bachelor's life. Yeah, we got the gas turned off in our apartment. Yeah, Yeah, you can afford. You know, gas is like fifteen dollars a month. It's the principle. (laughs) You know what? It comes down to principle. That's how you begin to. That's what you um, a grown man becomes homeless. No. No, it, we didn't. The you're gas bills. It's the like ga- you're homeless within oh, your own I'm home. I'm not even going to get into it. John <laughs> Doe owns the gas. I'm not John Doe. So uh, I'm not paying the bill. Interesting. But, the but I would also say, too, okay. is that but that's a very extreme bachelor's lifestyle. That's how my dad ate. Yeah. When my dad talks about his bachelor life in the early 70s, it was kind of like this. He, he's like, I owned one recliner. I had a glass coffee table that your mother made me throw out. And I had a, I had a, he had a towel nailed to the wall for a curtain. He's like, yeah, just eat beans. Yeah. <laughs> Eat nothing but beans. I know it. <laughs> so now we've finally got Kim Bianchi and uh, Angelo Bono living in Los Angeles. Now Together again. I think that would be a good little theme song for them. But copyright says that we can't use that. Oh, I see. (laughs) Now, there are some conflicting reports on the personal nature of Bono and Bianchi's relationship. Some say that the two hated each other and only worked together because they made a good team like Laurel and Hardy. Oh, Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan. See? (laughs) That tension. Yep. (laughs) That's what you need a little tension. You need a little bit, Because you want to constantly be one-upping the person silently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With tying girls up. <laughs> yeah, it's different, you know. But most of the sources that I read say that it was more of a hero worship situation mm. on the part of Bianchi. Ken, heartbroken and no doubt full of hatred for women, showed up in L.A. to find a 41-year-old bachelor with dyed black hair, rings on his fingers, Ugh. and an almost endless stream of women. And they would talk about they met and he's just like, you don't know though. I come he come out to my fucking life idea. I am up to my hip bones in pussy juice. <laughs> yeah. And Bianchi's just like, that sounds great. Yeah, this is what <laughs> this is what one investigator said about Bianchi's uh, I guess luck with women. Bianchi had a tough time with broads. I mean he may have been glib and a, a smooth, sweet talker, but most women saw right through him. He had no substance. Why does the detective always seem like more of a jackass than the murderer he's talking about? They say, I will say, in reading and listening to documentary footage about the Hillside Stranglers, the word broads is thrown around quite a bit. Women would be good. Or just anyone, or victims. I'd say victims, or, you know, or ladies. But we're going to see in their relationship a a thing that serial killers do a lot of time that I find incredibly fascinating, which is they physicalize the symbolism of their actions. Mm. And so what we have right now is like, like John Wayne Gacy, he would have have to go to the basement to do his secret crimes and secretly be gay, yeah. right? Ed Gein would have, like, his house was boarded up, where his mother's rooms were boarded up, so, mm. like, symbolically, they were perfectly held in memory while he could live his weird life outside of the rest of the rooms that he could degrade and shit because they weren't his mother's rooms. Mm-hmm. This is the this is an incredible example of two halves of the perfect serial killer finding each other, where you have Bono, who is mm-hmm. just pure animal sexuality. He's a 
disgusting piece of shit that lives only to come. And Bianchi, who is sort of like the glass person psychopath that lies for the pleasure of it and wants to get away with everything and thinks he can. And, and so these two layers, because Bono couldn't talk to people. They say Bono could barely read and write. Mm. Like he was just a dirtbag that just so mm. happened to be so brazen that I think like a woman would like sleep with him once and be like, oh my God, and like get be like, I can't believe I did that. Yeah. But Bianchi was just this, he, he was a no, he was a non-person. Well, you know what? You've just given me a great idea for a dating app for one person who wants to find another person that would complete the, uh, com- complete themselves to make a perfect serial killer. It's Tenderizer, and you can download the app. It's going to be big, and you just swipe right if you see someone that you think you could murder with. I could fuck next to that guy. Yeah, that looks good. I wouldn't mind if his spunk like hit my knee. Like I wouldn't freak out. Yeah, yeah. Ken saw Bono as a role model because Ken was an extremely immature person. They absolutely both were because Bono was the type of person like a 13-year-old scumbag would idolize. Exactly like Bono idolized uh, Carol Chessman. And Bianchi mm. was kind of frozen in childhood because he just never kind of grew up out of it. He was yeah. always kind of act like a petulant kid that when he didn't get what he wanted would throw tantrums. Mm-hmm. They seem like the kind of guys who would take Jesse James's side when uh, he cheated on Sandra Bullock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it like, seems like they would be like, yeah, Dito Fantis, she is hot. She hotter is hot. than Sandra. Sandra Bullock must not have done him right. Yeah. And, they, and you know what they also remind me of? Villains from a Stephen King novel. <laughs> yes. They remind me of the bullies from it, or what you brought up earlier, Kissel, was that sometimes they yes. come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But whether Bianchi hated Bono or not, we definitely know that Bono strongly disliked Bianchi. What I kept thinking about uh, as well is like, you know those old Looney Tunes cartoons where like there were the two bulldogs, like the big oh, gigantic yeah. tough bulldog and the little tiny bulldog yeah, that on, was always- Yeah, come on, let's rape him, let's rape him, big dog. <laughs> I don't remember that episode. <laughs> oh, that was one of those band ones, like the one, all oh, the super the racist <laughs> Japanese ones. Yeah. yeah or, or Scrappy and Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Now, after a few months of sleeping on Angelo's couch, Bianchi was forced out by his cousin and got his own apartment. And in November of 1976, Bianchi met a woman he would eventually father a son with, Kelly Boyd. Now, Kelly was by all accounts a painfully normal woman that perfectly matched Bianchi's, as Henry said, glass-like appearance. Uh, She said that Ken was gentle. She said that he was a kind man to her at every turn. And the two moved in together in early 1977. Now, you remember, the one thing that we didn't really cover is that Ken also had a fascination with being a police officer. When he got out of high school, he applied to be a police officer, and they said no, he didn't have what it takes, so he became a security officer. And a part of what he'd do, as a security guy, he'd walk around, he'd steal stuff to give to his many girlfriends. So at this point, he's bumming around doing security work, but Mm. he feels a sense of inadequacy. He wants to do something more. Mm -hmm. So he decides he wants to get into the therapy business, (laughs) which is true. He wanted to be a psychotherapist, Because his friend said that he gave great advice, Mm -hmm. but the problem is that he was a terrible student, and so he couldn't go through the school to become to to take psychology classes. Well, the reason I got into podcasting was because my friends said I was great over the phone. (laughs) That's true. But you're great over the phone. What's so weird about the people who want to become a cop and they fail to become a cop? You have the the George Zimmerman effect. Oh, absolutely. John Wayne Gacy. John like George Zimmerman was just like, I'm getting in my car, I'm patrolling the streets, and we're like, we didn't ask you to do that. Don't do yeah, that. You're a just, fucking moron. You're an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. 
Anyway, there's nothing worse than someone who wants to be a cop and can't be a cop. You think cops are bad. Ooh. Imagine someone who can't even uh, achieve that mild goal. A wannabe cop Ugh. sounds like one of the worst human beings on the face of the planet. <laughs> Just switch, figure out how to do something else. Or take joy in being a security officer. Like, do a thing. Like, do something. But Kenneth Bianchi always had always had this problem, always mm-hmm. had an inferiority complex. So now he wants to be able to have influence over someone. Right. Yeah, he wants to be a psychotherapist. And, of course, he's not going to go through all the rigmarole of getting no. a degree no. or anything like that. So he came up with a nice little scam. He placed a fake job ad in a local Los Angeles newspaper. He took a copy of a diploma that an applicant named Steve Walker had sent in, wrote in his own name, and hung it on the wall. And not surprisingly, despite a good location and bargain basement prices... Only one person showed up. And Shocking. so what's really interesting, too, is that his wife would come by and see these degrees. And she'd be like, "Why? where do these fucking degrees came from? I <laughs> right. didn't know you were a psychotherapist. He's like, yeah, 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 I just didn't tell you about it. I, I, I didn't tell you about it. <laughs> it was like all of this shit were being like, again, ladies, men. If you if you start if a man opens up a therapist's office <laughs> and he has never been a therapist never, up not, until well, that once. point, not yeah. once, and he's almost 30. You're not, he's got to get out of the situation. But I do watch a lot of Long Island Medium, oh. so I feel like I know how to talk to people. I could talk to people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the view. Yeah, well, but, I mean, but you know, going back to what that person was talking about, the detective discussing with uh, the, the problems w- with women, this is how shallow he is. He's as shallow as the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's no depth at all. And not only that, but you know, you got back, back in the 1970s, 50s, 60s, like people would marry each other barely knowing the other person. Right. They would, first they would court, then they would date uh then they would get married or in uh, their case they would move in together like in a very short uh, mm. period of time people just didn't talk about their past at all yeah so right. those of you who are single don't feel so bad because sometimes <laughs> you just don't have to jump right into marriage you know all of these guys got married all of them got married yeah, yeah. Bono got married four times yeah i think the majority of people we talk about have been married. Yeah, and that's what we always say. You know, they're like, oh, man, if he can get married, why can't I get married? It's because like- you just lower your standards down to a zero and marry a serial killer. <laughs> right. That's it. <laughs> now, Ken, faced with the costs of opening and closing a oh, business. Oh, that, it's tough the to close. <laughs> wow. Yeah. God. yeah. Back rent, man. You got to pay all that back rent. <laughs> he needed money, and he turned to Angelo for help. Because Angelo had recently gotten into the pimping game and decided to bring in Ken on the deal. Well, it's like a loose thing where the pimping kind of started off as this idea where he had a girlfriend that he thought maybe he could flip into a prostitute and then it went bad for everybody, especially the woman. Oh, absolutely. The first prostitute that Bianchi and Bono essentially abducted was 16-year-old, was a 16-year-old girl from Phoenix named Sabra Hanna who was told by Bono at a party that she could earn $500 a week by posing as a photographic model There's for There's no such thing as a photographer. And <laughs> no, again, I'm going to say this him. again. Everybody's a photographer. I'm a photographer. Oh. Anybody can just be just say you're a photographer. You got to get the money up front at least. It must be so weird for women to just constantly being sought after and just like people want to take pictures of you. <laughs> I was Someone did take a picture of me on the subway but because it was so I, I was so freakish. Why? Because you're tall? Yes, and as a matter of fact- did you ask than that? No, this is, I, I went to a bar uh, randomly to meet up with my friend Jason Kepper, you know Kepper. Oh yeah. And this woman looks at me, I'm like, why are you looking at me? You know, I, I thought maybe she knew me from Fox or maybe she's or a fan. yeah. And uh, she turns out, she looks at me, she said, I'm so sorry. I said, why are you apologizing? She said, I took a picture of you on the subway today because you were so big. And I'm Fuck like, what? You. What do you mean? 
And I was like, what are you I will say that I, I kind of saw of you in your life when we were hanging out at the airport for 15 hours, when we were together in Chicago, and literally people kept, we had a great time, yeah. but people kept, every other person was like, huh, you play basketball? Yeah. Everybody just was just like, oh, big guy, huh? You're really big. Look at your knees. There's like four knees next to each other. And I was like, what's up? And I was like, Jesus Christ, leave him alone. He's yeah. not even that big. I'm not that big. No, I've known much larger gentlemen than you. For fatter, example, big fatter. Your brother. That's your correct. Brother, My six is, foot eleven brother. Yeah, and he's got bigger knees and a wider mm. head. He wears skirts <laughs> so people can see them. Anyway, I digress. Now, desperate for money, Sabra moved into Angelo's house and was soon forced into doing jobs. Bianchi took to the pimping business like a duck to water, having finally been given the opportunity to treat women the way he'd always wanted to treat them. Free of personal consequence. If a man ever says that he wants to be a pimp, he no. is a shallow, empty fuckface. Like, that is yeah. just, what an aspiration to think, oh, I want to sell humans to people. I know there's a slightly different cultural norm when it comes to pimping and things like that. I understand the confidence. I tell yeah. them I'm the whitest human being. I, I know that a, a pimping is not the easiest job, and it takes a strong back and spine to do it. But Yes. No. This whole thing about him being, you know, wanting him wanting to be free of consequence, that's at the core of Kenneth Bianchi and possibly at the core of many double live. There's no way he could have done it. Serial killers like Gacy, Bundy, BTK, Ridgeway, the guys when they're when they're caught, their wives, their neighbors, their coworkers, everybody's like yeah, it's not Ted Bundy. It's not John. How could it be John Wayne Gacy? How could it be Gary Ridgway? These guys would never hurt a fly. Yeah, they're, they're, they're little nothing. They're simpering little idiots. Or they're like, you know, John Wayne Gacy, he's a blowhard. Everybody hates him. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. who cares about him? Yeah, yeah. He's a, he does, dresses at clowns for parties. He doesn't kill people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with anonymous victims, these killers are free to do everything that they would so very much like to do in their quote unquote normal lives, but are prevented from doing so because of the grave consequences that would befall them should they ever actually go through with it. But now we're going to look at this pimping game for these two guys are the allowances that they gave themselves in order to become a serial killer like we talk about all the time. The pimping became just a way to, it wasn't about the selling of the women the money at this point. Because I think like it started off as being like we're going to make money and do what we love, quote unquote, mm -hmm. but then it becomes about the violence and the ownership. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. when it gave them the because now I see a touch of this power, it feeds me to want mm -hmm. and then really strike out and instead of doing all this corporate pimping business, I need to <laughs> really yeah. get out there and fucking hit the indie scene. Sure. Yeah, that's what these guys do. They give them just, we talk about it again and again, they give themselves these little allowances that allow them to eventually murder, I don't know, once every couple weeks, once right. a week when it becomes absolutely normal, but these guys are still doing it in consequence-free zones, and that's why virtually no serial killers are legally insane. They, well, they understand the yeah. consequences perfectly, and they kill anonymous victims to avoid those consequences. I do have to say, I have a poster in my uh, apartment, and it does say uh, consequence-free zone, and everybody knows. <laughs> I can eat whatever I want, and I can, like, <laughs> No you know, rules here. No rules. Consequence-free zone. Um, yeah. Can't get fat on a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should be, like, a no-calorie zone. Yeah. I think that would, because then it, yeah. it, it doesn't involve making your house sound like a, a place where women go to die. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point, good point. Yeah. Um, but Ed Gein, what we talk about, Ed Gein, though, was nuts. Ed Gein was, was sick. He was legally insane. And These Jeff other guys, they're ill. They, you know, they have antisocial personality disorder. They have definite problems Dom with their brain. Dahmer was sick. Dahmer was sick, yeah. You know, he just, you know, but ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Ed Gein, he was legally insane. He was schizophrenic. He didn't know what he was doing. I mean, he killed, He it was just by 
happenstance that he was able to get away with the murder of Mary Hogan. Yeah, he was a slack-jawed wackadoo, and yeah, he was yeah. just a bit of an oddball. Yeah, and he killed Bernice Warden, you know, who he knew. He liked he her. Saw, he liked her. He saw her every single day. He knew that people had seen him there. There were records. You know, he, he desperately wanted to play her boobies like a couple of wine bags, and then he just <laughs> took the extra step yep. by making them wine bags. Just happenstance, like that great Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors. You never <laughs> Love know. Sliding you doors. never know what reality is could change. You never know. But yeah. at any rate, soon <laughs> after. Only, if only he had just a couple of coupons for free two scoops at the local malt oh, shop. He maybe wouldn't have <laughs> killed, killed all those her. women. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe not. But at any rate, after Sabrahana was forced into sex slavery, Bono and Bianchi picked up another girl, 15-year-old Becky Spears, but she was thankfully rescued soon after her abduction. By a good-hearted John. Yeah. Which is true, is that a dentist bought her to have sex with her and then saw the state that she was in. She was all beat up, and she said, "My, my the guys, my pimps are beating the shit out of me. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to Richard Gere you. We're doing this. You're free. <laughs> Pretty woman. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And she says, like, that's amazing. He's like, but the thing is, I own you now. <laughs> well, that's not so bad. No. I mean, it's just hilarious, the idea of this woman being like, they're terrible. They're, they, they, I think they're going to be serial killers. She's like... I'm a dentist. You think I give a shit? I'm the, I'm the biggest sociopath on earth. Actually, he was a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a criminal defense lawyer because after he, he put- was a criminal defense lawyer who picked up prostitutes regularly. He was having a great time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. You don't pay him to come; you pay him to leave. That's what Charlie Sheen says. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was a criminal defense lawyer, and after he put this 15-year-old girl on a plane back to Phoenix, back to her hometown, Bono called him up, said, "Hey, I'm gonna beat the fuck out of you. you don't I'm think gonna I fucking kill you. You don't think I won't beat up." A lawyer. I love to beat up lawyers. They got special gloves I wear in order to beat up lawyers. They call my lawyer beating gloves. You fucking nag <laughs> But because this guy was a criminal defense lawyer, he had connections with the Hell's Angels. Yeah, oh. you think oh you're gonna take these guys as angels? These they're, they're soft little defense little boys. They got little wings. They're gonna come over here. Oh man. You're big. <laughs> it's hard to say what profession people hate more, a pimp or a lawyer. This is quite a feud. I think people hate pimps more. I don't. People always make lawyer jokes. You yeah. can say anything about a lawyer and people laugh Yeah, and what do you call 10, um, ten lawyers tied together at the bottom of the ocean? A good thing? A good start. Yeah, yeah a good start? <laughs> no, there's only been one pimp on uh, network television. There's been a shit ton of lawyers. Sugar Bear was a hero. Huggy Bear. Ah. <laughs> no, and the WW, uh, WWF, that's when he was doing it. The Godfather. Big, the yeah. Godfather, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He did all right. Yeah, Pimpin' was indeed not easy no, for the it was Godfather. hard for him. He had a bad back and terrible knees and stone cold kept on hitting him with a chair. <laughs> Pimpin' is not easy. Now, the drop in revenue caused Bianchi to miss payments on the brand new Cadillac he had purchased, and the car was repossessed, which only increased Bianchi's rage towards women. Now, the last straw for Bianchi came in October of 1977. Bono had purchased a list of clients from a prostitute named Deborah Noble, who delivered it with her friend Yolanda Washington. And during a bout of small talk during the transaction, Yolanda mentioned the specific stretch of Sunset Boulevard where she worked, a slip of the tongue that would soon prove to be fatal. Now, the list was supposed to be of clients who liked to have prostitutes visit them in their homes. 
But in reality, the list was the exact opposite. Clients who like to go out to eat, if you know what I mean. Oh, that's you disgusting. Wrote yeah, you wrote that. I think that is the worst thing you've ever wrote. What's wrong with you? And you smiled the way you did. You smiled the way you give me finger guns. You, got, you guys at home didn't see him give finger guns. So proud of himself for that. It was wrong with going out to eat. That's disgusting. It's, it's referring to a prostitution. And it- Sex work is good work. You can have sex work and still feel like a positive person. I I, I do agree with that. But at sure. the same time, I feel weird. Just like, are you going to eat the pussy of a prostitute? I guess so. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't say I'm going out to eat. I'm and going then out I don't to get eat. in my car and then go trolling for prostitutes. But your wife's there with your child being like, I just made dinner. I'm going out to Yeah, I don't think she understands. <laughs> the, it's an analogy. No, it's going to meet a girl in a room. It's like, because that's yeah, the thing sure. is that they call up the clients and say like, hey, I've got this girl. It's call you, out service, yeah, right? Yeah, call or, out, not call in. Well, what does it mean if you order the Bloomin' Onion when you're out. That's, uh, you're, ta- you're talking to Outback. I saw that once. Yeah, Bloomin' Onion. That's uh, for a prolapsed asshole. That's uh, that's mm. the, because, you know, it kind of comes out. Yeah, uh, The prolapsed it. asshole comes out. You saw out. that once? Oh, yeah, uh, when I was in high school. Yeah, during my lunch break when I was working construction in what? Texarkana. Tex- Texarkana is a beautiful part of our country, and I'm so <laughs> glad the Mexicans gave it up. It is beautiful, <laughs> although I don't think they have construction in Texarkana. I think it's destruction, right? They yeah. just sort of, like, break down buildings. No, it was construction. I was putting in insulation in yeah, a juvenile they, detention center. Yeah, they had to make a bunch of shanties for their shantyville. <laughs> and then how did you see a prolapsed... There was this guy that brought a suitcase of porn because we were journeyman construction Oh, it wasn't workers. a person. It no, was a it magazine. wasn't a person. No, 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 no. I didn't just see no, a it. It was shown to you by a gnarly old man who showed you an old fucking dirty magazine yeah, he had from his fucking shit house. He oh. got busted for peeping on his own daughter. Oh, okay. Well, Texarkana. another beautiful story from the heartland of America. <laughs> no, Texas red, is white, not and the blue heartland. runs deep in the veins of the people of Texas. Yeah. Now these two, after they got this trick list, they had no idea where to find Deborah Noble, but they sure as hell remembered exactly where Yolanda Washington worked. So on October seventeenth, nineteen seventy-seven, Bianchi and Bono drove to the Sunset Strip and picked her up. This is what Bianchi said when asked how it went down. She was a hooker. Angelo went and picked her up. I was waiting on the street. He drove her around to where I was. I got in the car. We got on the freeway. I fucked her and killed her. We dumped her body off and that was it. Nothing to it. So, but the, uh, the just one person had sex with her and killed her. Uh, it, I'm certain that they both probably yeah. did it. Yeah, they they both actually had sex with her. Okay. Uh, and we'll get into why that was the LAPD's very first clue in the Hillside Strangler case. And, of course, Yolanda wouldn't have gotten in the car with them willingly, but Bono, using a police badge that he had stolen from a movie set, told the woman he was an undercover cop, she was under arrest, and she had to get in the car. And her naked body was found on October 18th, 1977, on a hillside near the Ventura Freeway, the first victim of the Hillside Stranglers. All right, well, that's part one. Man, they just feel like Diary of a Scuzzball. (laughs) Yeah, they are disgusting, uh, disgusting people. It's like the sisterhood of traveling pants if everybody fucking got strangled to death in a fucking sex dungeon. Oh, I thought you were going to say if everyone 
dribbled in their pants. <laughs> the sisterhood of the, the dribbling, dribbling pants. <laughs> oh, disgusting. Good lord. Oh. I'm, All um, right, bunch of bastards. But uh, this is one of the this is the, one of those classic big hitters that we do that I when I re, when I'm done reading, I feel like I have to take a shower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I feel like I want to bathe right now. Yeah, I'm also yeah. sitting in a puddle of my own sweat because it's summertime. <laughs> summertime. And I have a bit of the uh, I got a bit of a gazpacho going on in my <laughs> oh, pants right oh, now. Oh, right. Okay. Well, uh, have you have you oh, ordered your six pack of uh, gold bond from Amazon yeah, yet? <laughs> oh yes, we, well we all powder. We all I don't powder. powder. You don't powder? No, of course oh, I don't powder. powder. That's dumb. You no, got a powder? I'm a fucking oh. desert person. I don't need to powder. All you assholes are always know. bitching about how hot it is. I'm like, you don't fucking know hot until you've been working in a fucking. Detention center in Texarkana. Yeah, with a pervert who insu- peeps on his daughter. Yeah, you You're were putting smiling. in insulation. You're putting in insulation. You, you got, got flannel on, oh, so the insulation okay. doesn't get near your skin. What? But the fun thing what? is that we were all on stilts, and me and my friend used to have races when the ice cream uh, when the ice cream truck would come by. We'd have races to see who would get there it's first. It's never a fun thing. You guys <laughs> always like so Mad sad. Max. It's yeah, like somewhere it's between fucking David Copperfield and Mad Max was your childhood. <laughs> yeah. I was sick of hearing it. You had to find the fun. Uh, I don't think you did. I have to say it was ice uh, cream. He t- right. uh, okay, well, very good. and butthole not- mutilation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, we all grow up different. That's correct. We're all snowflakes. Um, all right, so we got a m- much more to discuss with we, the hillside strangle. We really do. This is a fascinating story. Uh, we're going to get into the string of murders in the next episode. We're also going to get into what happens after uh, Kim Bianchi gets caught. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, these guys. I mean, this is some of the most uh, interesting stuff we've done since uh, Henry. Lee Lucas and Otis Tool. Uh, this oh. stuff is is great. Uh, I guess as far as uh, news goes, man, we got a shitload of shows coming up. Yeah, you guys know that we uh, we're coming to Atlanta in June. Uh, we're coming to LA in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're coming to the UK in October. Be sure to get your tickets for that. We're very close to selling out London, uh, uh, and, and I- we are also coming very close to selling out Manchester. Go to gigsandtours.com and search last podcast on the left to get your tickets for that. And I guess I like to thank Anna Lewis and Rhiannon who run a podcast called IRL UK, and they mm-hmm. are working. They also write for Heat Magazine, and they're helping us uh, out in uh, the UK. But spread the word that we're doing shows there. Uh, they're they're both really great girls, and the uh, their podcast is a lot of fun. Oh, that's well, awesome! Yeah, yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you so much, really and I'll fucking that. give a shout out to Andy Condon, who's like who's hassling me. He was one of the three people that gave me a five star rating on Netflix characters, and I'd say thank you, thank you for doing that. <laughs> so you literally it would it did so bad you can call out to people who liked the, it by name. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Going strong. Give independent artists a chance. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, yes. of co- and of course, uh, all of these places we're going to all over the United States. We've got a lot more in the works right now. And if you guys want to make sure that we come to your hometown, go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the left uh, and uh, give a little bit to our Patreon. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. Every single little bit helps. Even if you can give just a dollar a month, every tiny little bit helps. We've gotten yep. such a fucking amazing response on that uh, and thank you guys so much for your continued support on this this shit is life changing seriously I mean, and you know I mean honestly thank you, the, the show is doing so well uh, we just passed Mark Marin's podcast uh, on iTunes yeah um, which was a huge accomplishment you know uh, so thank you guys so much. It really yeah. means a lot the fact that people have been supporting us for these years, and it's yeah. kind of coming to a head. And it's it's really it's it's the magic of Satan himself that it all works out. Mm-hmm. It's um, just the deep flows of the evil that runs in the essential nature of the universe. Yeah, either and that for or our it's, Fox News fans who love Christianity and Jesus. Thank you too. I don't care. Yeah, either.
either that or it's, you know, the collective unconsciousness of all of us coming together to form this wonderful thing. Just I think, yeah. Yeah. We all have different beliefs. <laughs> Mostly boo. I, I thought was, you guys were fun to drink with. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's where it started. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, but no, thanks so much for support in the last podcast. And then, of course, uh, Abelian's Tom Pat for Politics, Roundtable of Gentlemen, uh, just kind of a fun time hanging out with your friends. Uh, what else? Page, Page seven, 7 for yeah. entertainment news. Mm-hmm. And sex and other human yeah. activities. Uh, no, I do not have a psychotherapy degree, but I never claim to. No. That's, <laughs> thank God. Thank God. And, uh, you and, shouldn't. You yeah. should not do no, that. No, in fact, we have a disclaimer at the beginning saying that we are not medical professionals. No, they're the opposite. They're comedians. Or, or well, I guess you are not a comedian. No, Marcus. I'm you a radio. Had, I'm a radio guy. A radio. I would literally call you a medical unprofessional. <laughs> yes, by definition. <laughs> yeah. Um, and check out Marcus's show, The Lucky Bone Show. It's yeah. very good. Mixcloud.com slash Marcus Parks. Thank you, everyone who's been listening. Okay, and also after being a big, big announcement, I'm on Instagram. I figured out my password. Woo! I'm Ben Kissel. One. I have 1,800 followers. I've used it like four times. So fi- you, fi- you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Ben Kissel One or on Twitter at Ben Kissel. Henry is at Doctor Fan. Tasty on uh, Instagram. The uh, last podcast is on Instagram at LP on the left, and I am on Twitter at Henry Loves You. Yeah, and I'm on Twitter at Marcus Sparks and on Instagram at Marcus Sparks. Ben, have you have you posted anything on Instagram since you got your password? Back? No, but I got a picture of me with Ben Carson that I'm just waiting. We can't <laughs> wait. Um, hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Hail Gein. Hail me. And may gustulations. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. Ashley's Memorial Day mattress sale is going on now. Save big on select adjustable mattress sets up to $1,200 on Beautyrest Black, up to $800 on Purple, and up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. Plus, get 72-month special financing with select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Visit your local Ashley store or ashley.com for better sleep and savings. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details.